The reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28, and can be found on page 1188 of the Pew Bibles. Chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone else. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you, Caroline, very much. Now, um, hands up if you've ever driven a car. Great. Now, I reckon, and probably... Uh, for most of you who've driven a car, the first time you ever drove a car is quite a, a memorable moment. It certainly is for me, a very vivid memory. I can remember uh, Mrs. Smith, she was my driving instructor, and uh, she had a racing green metro, which I first climbed into outside Skinner School on St. John's Road, Tunbridge Wells. And she sat in the passenger seat, she, she sort of taught me through the basics, let me know what was what, and within a couple of minutes we were off and running. To be honest, I was doing just fine. I can remember thinking to myself, what's all the fuss about? I mean, shift up, shift down, brake, accelerator. What, what is the complication here? Why does it take so long? I had this driving thing licked, ready to take my test, and it was only week one. It was a couple of weeks later that the uh, dawning realisation started to sink in. You see, um, Mrs. Smith, in her footwell, she had these pedals. And I had kind of assumed those pedals were there for the numpty drivers, you know, just in case she suddenly had to slam on the brakes for the less competent drivers. She didn't need those for me. But I began to realise she'd been using them the whole time. Clutch for the gear change, brake for the hill starts, a little bit of extra gas when I'm about to stall. No wonder it was so easy. Mrs Smith was doing half the job for me. And actually, in that moment, in that moment of dawning realisation, suddenly the task of learning to drive on my own flipped from being a complete doddle to suddenly thinking, how on earth am I ever going to drive? And Mrs Smith will just have to stay with me the whole time. We've got something of that dynamic as Paul finishes his letter to the Thessalonians. Paul loves this church. 
You can hear his love as you read through this letter. He'd lived among them, he'd cared for them, he'd taught them, he'd prayed for them. And he's longing for them to learn to drive spiritually, to get rid of the spiritual L plates. That, that is the goal here. In fact, flick back over the page, um, end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And you'll see here is Paul's goal for the Thessalonians. Chapter 3, verse 13, right at the end of chapter 3, where Paul writes, May he, God, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God, of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. You see, that, that is the goal. Jesus is coming. The day of the driving test is approaching. And the goal is that, that they will be, in fact, that, that you and I will be. This is the whole of humanity. This is the goal for all of us, that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of God, our Creator. That's the goal. The goal is that we pass the spiritual driving test with perfection. No, no minor faults, no retakes, blameless and holy. So how do we do that? Look at me, look with me how Paul ends this letter. Verses uh, 12 to 18 of chapter 5, I called this first section striving. Striving, that, that's what we've got here. It's as if Paul's come to the end of the letter. The room on his scroll is running out fast and there's a whole bundle of things that he still wants to tell them. And so he starts pouring out these instructions on how to live a godly life. He starts to cram in more and more. Have a listen as we read through these verses. Count how many calls to godliness there are as we go. Reading from verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Twelve commands, I make it, as you go through those seven short verses. And notice the things that, that Paul picks out for us. Acknowledge those who work hard among you. As Caroline prayed, he, he's talking about church leaders here. Acknowledge your church leaders. Listen to them. Because their care for you is the Lord's care for you. Their challenging of you is the Lord's challenging of you. It's, it's not to say that church leaders are without fault. If you think that, come and meet me afterwards. We've clearly never met. But Paul's saying, allow yourself to be admonished, corrected by those that God has placed an authority over you. And, and he continues, live in peace with each other. There's no place for quarreling in the church family. Warn those who are idle. We, we've seen that theme throughout the letter. There's work to be done as we wait for Jesus' return. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. All a picture of, of reaching out to those who are in need. And that's hard, isn't it? It's costly. Those draining conversations that leave you feeling frustrated and weary. Why, why can't I just bother someone else? 
But God says to us in his word, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And then don't retaliate. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. Instead, always strive to do good for each other and everyone else. Now, I read that, and it, uh, it made me think about my driving. In fact, um, I came across this invention in the week. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, it, it's genius. It's a button that, that you press, and it retracts the little um, fish logo that you've got on the back of the car. So that when that person swings in in front of you and cuts you up, you can go and cut them back up without them knowing that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not real. (laughs) You could probably make some money out of it. We get that. We're not patient people naturally. Retaliation comes very naturally to me. But God says, don't pay back wrong with wrong. And it's hard. All these commands are hard. Godliness is hard. Actually, probably none of the commands are harder than the final three in the list. Paul's really running out of uh, room on the scroll now. Now he's really to the point. He says, rejoice always. That is the second shortest verse in the Bible, in the original Greek. And and the shortest verse, actually, isn't the one that you think it is. So uh, there's a little bit of homework for you to do. Find out the shortest verse in the Bible. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, godliness is thankfulness, prayerfulness. It's not the, um, the, the sickly Christian smile that covers up the true hurt of life, but it is a determination to see blessings in the midst of life's hardships. I met with a Christian couple this week, and they, they are walking through a really, really tough time. But I left that conversation so encouraged to see two people who even in the great pain of their suffering they they were determined to see God's goodness to them they were determined to help each other to be thankful for the blessings not not covering up the hardships not walking past that acknowledging it but but bringing thankfulness to God alongside their prayers of great anguish give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the way God has called you to live. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what it should look like. Strive for it, says Paul. Strive for it. But actually, aren't you left thinking, well, hang on a sec, if if this is the standard, I am never going to pass my spiritual driving test. I am. These have been hard words for me this week, if I'm honest. I've not had my most joyful of weeks, certainly not my most patient of weeks. And when you're not feeling joyful, it's quite hard when someone says, rejoice always. So, oh, okay. You want more than that, don't you? Wonderfully, God in his word gives us more. Let's read on. Verses 19 to 22, and I've called this section listening. Listening. Follow with me from verse 19, where we read, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Now, what do you make of those four verses? Paul's still in the mode of sort of squeezing in as much as he can as he gets to the end of his scroll. He's very brief and to the point. You you would love him to say more. But God's given us all we need. So what are we told? 
do not quench the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, that is. The Spirit of Jesus Christ given to every Christian believer to, to comfort, to encourage, to equip them to live for Jesus. This is good news. I mean, come, come back to me, uh, with me to uh, Mrs. Smith and uh, me learning to drive. Mrs. Smith isn't going anywhere. Okay, she, she is there with you. That's what we're being told. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the one who sits alongside you to help you spiritually to live for Jesus, he's not going anywhere. He's always there, and he's there to help. You see, I couldn't take Mrs. Smith with me on my driving test. Can you imagine? Sort of, sorry, Mr. Instructor, would, would you mind sitting in the back, actually? Kind of need Mrs. Smith to sit here because she's got her pedal thing to do and hill starts, a little ropey. That's not going to wash. But with God, we're told exactly the opposite. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't fool yourself into to thinking you can do this spiritual driving test thing alone. You need his help. Do not quench the Spirit. And then we're told, verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking probably the, the best parallel here is um, when I was learning to drive, my dad used to take me out in the Mini to, to learn to drive. And um, my dad is just about the most patient man you could ever imagine. And he would uh, sit in the passenger seat of our, our Mini. He didn't have that extra set of pedals, so it must have been completely terrifying for him. I was not a good driver. Um, still not really. But um, he would sit there and he would say, are you, um, are you happy with the gear you're in, John? Good, good to keep an eye on the speed limit, John. Uh, have you checked what you're doing with the choke, John? Now, I realize none of you probably realize what a choke is, but I really struggled with the whole choke thing. Constant words of advice, of encouragement, of correction, coming from the passenger seat. But pretty much all I would say is, look, Dad, Dad, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. The Holy Spirit in the life of every Christian believer, constantly prompting, challenging, guiding along the way. So will we listen? Will we be people who recognize the scale of this task and our desperate need for help? In fact, the specific context here is when God uses another believer to speak God's words into our lives. Not in a kind of thus says the Lord sort of way. We can't speak with that level of confidence. But we can be saying to each other, in fact, we should be saying to each other, I was praying for you this morning. And, and as I was praying, I was just left wondering. And then whatever it might be that we feel prompted to say. I remember praying one Sunday evening with the church minister. And uh, as we finished praying, he sat up and he said, um, John, as I was praying now, I was just left wondering whether um, you should be considering full-time church work. Now what do you do with that? I was an engineer. I enjoyed my engineering. What do you do? Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Verse 21, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Actually, you can, you can see that the prophecy spoken of here can't be a thus says the Lord kind of prophecy. It doesn't carry the same authority as this, as the Bible. You've got to test it. You've got to weigh it. And in that particular moment for me, it meant... 
asking myself, well, what can I teach? Through the Spirit's work in my life, can I conform to the ethical guidelines set out for church ministers in the Bible? Well, actually, they're, they're guidelines for all of us. But the Bible says it particularly matters for church ministers. I had to ask, was my wife happy with the idea? That mattered. Were there others who had confirmed that they thought this was a wise plan? Do you see, it's lost lots of testing. You don't just jump in, particularly not into church ministry. Or, or what happens in the moment when, um, when someone comes to me, and this happened, when they come and say, um, well, God has told me to marry this person. And the person that God has told them to marry is, is not a follower of Jesus. The person talking to me is. At that point, I want to say, well, no, God has very clearly spoken to you in his word about who you should marry. And he hasn't changed his mind. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Really important to do that. But I wonder if what we need to hear is do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Is that what we need to hear? Do we need to be living lives expecting the Spirit to be helping us, guiding us, correcting us through the words of others? And actually, we need to remember that prophecy in, in the Old Testament, very often what the prophets brought wasn't good news, but bad news. It was warnings from God. Like my dad, sitting in the driving seat, giving me correction, giving me warnings. God will say things to us that we don't want to hear. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. We need to, to listen and learn as we drive. And then finally, um, final heading here, trusting. Trusting. Put your hands up again if you, um, if you took your driving test. Hands up. Okay, keep your hand up if you passed first, first time. Oh, you're feeling quite smug now, aren't you? Um, okay, uh, now keep your hand up if you passed first time with no minor faults. They didn't have minor <laughs> Sort of horse and cart test, was it? <laughs> Some people claiming they pass with no minor faults? No. I mean, it doesn't really happen unless you don't have minor faults in your driving test. I mean, basically everyone gets some minor faults as you go. Um, actually, spiritually, it'd be a bit more like um, one of my children came home from school last week and um, they'd had an unannounced spelling test at school. And um, truth be told, Tuckwells aren't great at spelling. And... Uh, with a cheeky grin, my kid said to me, um, Dad, guess how many I got in my spelling test out of 15? And I thought, Tuckwells aren't great at spelling. So I started at four and worked my way up to 15, getting more and more excited as he kept saying, no, 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 14, no, 15, no. <laughs> and um, so then I, then I went, three. No, and he's still grinning. He's still, he, they, whichever child it was, still grinning. Two, nope. Josh, you got, I mean, one of my children. Just one. No. I was really confused thinking, did I do half marks? Oh, not out of 15. Yeah. I, I did check. I had his permission to tell you that. And I take full responsibility for that gene pool. 
naught out of 15. And that is our spiritual problem. Because you listen to that, that set of 12 instructions that Paul's giving on how to live a godly life. I won't make you put your hands up about who scores 12 out of 12. I don't suppose any of our hands will be up. Naught out of 12 would be more likely. Certainly for me. And actually, this is the great challenge, the great tension of faith. We need to hear those 12 commands. We need to hear what it looks like to strive for godliness. They're not simply commands given to us to set us up for a fall, to show us how spiritually poor we are. We're meant to strive to be like this. This is what Jesus Christ was like. He perfectly lived out every one of those 12 commands. It's not a setup. We should strive. But we need to strive knowing that we can never do it alone. And that is the wonderful thing about how this letter ends. Have a listen again from verse 23, where Paul writes, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, that means make you holy, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And, have a listen here, four big words. And he will do it. Do you hear that? He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That is a glorious end to a letter. It's just extraordinary. Do you see the dynamic of the Christian life here? On the one hand, you are striving to be more like Jesus. Desperate to to love yourself less and to love others more. And the more we strive, the more obvious our sin becomes to us. That's, That's part of the challenge. Let me say, if you think you're doing pretty well, my guess is you've stopped striving. My guess is you've lost sight of Jesus' holiness. We strive. We strive listening to the Spirit's prompting along the way, and we trust. We trust the one who has promised to make us holy. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Isn't that wonderful? It is utter dependence on him. It's prayerful dependence, which which causes us to confess our naught out of fifteens, all our many and varied failings. It's humble dependence, which sees every step forwards in godliness as a work of his grace. So we don't become proud and conceited and start thinking we're better than others. It's his work. And it's joyful dependence. Because how wonderful to have a spiritual driving instructor who, who has promised His word is true, he never lies, and he has promised to make you holy and blameless. He has promised. And you know, the only thing that can stop that promise coming true is if you and I stop believing in that promise. That's what Satan wants. He might have been doing this tonight. He he will take that list of 12 commands and he will seek to place them on you as a burden that will cripple you. He'll, he'll sit in the back seat as you learn to drive spiritually, and he will mock you 
Have you seen how bad you are at this? You have not got a hope of passing that test. You might as well just give up now. And you will hear those words and you will be desperately tempted to give up. When you hear that voice, this is what you need to tell him. The one who calls me is faithful. He will do it. You see, I'm not there yet. None of us are there yet. In fact, we we won't be there this side of glory. But we strive. We listen. And we trust in the blood of Jesus. The innocent one who was made guilty. The one who perfectly passed his driving test. And yet he was seen to flunk it so that you and I can perfectly pass our driving test. That you and I might be holy and blameless in his sight. That's what we do. We strive. We listen. And we trust. Let's pray that we would do that. Uh, God, our Father, loving Lord Jesus and Spirit, our guide, our helper, our our strength, Uh, we praise you for your precious word to us. We know we we are people who so quickly get this wrong. We either strive and think we're doing well or we we despair and think we can never make it. And we forget your faithful word to us. Please, Father God, build us up as people of faith where the faith causes us to strive to be more like Jesus. We love him. He is beautiful and we want to be beautiful like him. But Father, Help us to trust. Every time we see our failures, would we bring them to the cross of Jesus? Would we remember his blood? And would we know that your word is faithful and true and you will do it? Help us to live for the day when we see this realized and to encourage each other on to that day too. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.